Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, this Lord's Day. God, we thank you for your word, perfectly and precisely preserved for thousands of years, that all of your children might hear directly from you how you spoke and taught when you walked among us, how everything in human history pointed to the moment when you would come and be born from a virgin and live a perfect life and die our death and then be raised from the dead. This morning, Lord, help us be reminded of the grace and the truth that is the gospel. Lord, as we approach your word, I I ask that you would push me out of your way, that you would speak in spite of an insufficient, unworthy servant. Lord, we trust that, Holy Spirit, you will move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your perfect word. Would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you comfort us and give us strength? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I would like to encourage you to take them and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. In just a few moments, we will all stand together and we will read Uh, I will read for us Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. If you don't have your own copy of the Word of the Lord there with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's in front of you. If you don't own your own copy at home, please take that copy of God's Word home with you as our gift to you. We would be happy to give that to you as a gift. Before we dive straight into Romans 8 and before we stand, I do want to draw our attention to this morning... We're going to begin a sermon series. I didn't really want to do a sermon series on this particular book. I tried to get away from that and wanted to go in other directions. Uh, A friend of mine who's a pastor had this really great sermon series where he went through the Ten Commandments, and he called it First and Ten, and it was right at the start of football season. And I thought that was so cool. And I've been thinking, I've been sitting on that one for like two years. And I said, all right, Lord, it's time. We're going to go to the Ten Commandments right here in the fall when football starts. And the Holy Spirit just grabbed hold of my heart and said, Nathan, I don't care how witty it is. I don't care how you like that it's first and ten and it's a football pun. That's not where the church needs to go right now. And I said, fine, you're in charge. So this morning we're starting a sermon series in James. So it's obvious why we're in Romans 8, right? You're with me now. Yeah, I hear you. We're going to start in a sermon series through the book of James. And I know that the book of James is a very popular book, but I promise you, for some reason, the Holy Spirit would not let me get away from this book. It is an essential part of our doctrine as Christians. It is practicality. Everything in the book of James is focused on how to live a Christian life as a follower of Christ wisely. What it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus But we can't really start into all of that practical, great information about how to live our lives without first realizing that James is not saying anything in the book, in the letter that he writes, devoid or void of the gospel and the gospel message. James, who wrote the book of James, was James the brother of Jesus. This is the same James that's referred to in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, when it talks about how 
How can this guy be anybody special? Aren't his brothers and sisters here? Don't we know them? And lists off some of James's, some of Jesus's half siblings. James then changes his mind about Jesus. And I've said this before from this pulpit, but for your brother to change his mind about you being the Messiah, something drastic has to happen. Well, that something drastic was his brother died and then came back to life. You know, if your whole life your brother's been telling you, I'm really the Messiah. No, no, no. Trust me. I'm really the Messiah. Yeah, whatever. You just want to be mom's favorite. Uh Uh-huh. The Messiah. Sure. I could see making fun of my brother for all of his life. And then he dies. And I'm thinking, how stupid, how ridiculous. All he had to do was stop saying he was the Messiah and my brother would still be alive. And then three days later, he comes back to life. And I'm like, you know, maybe there was a little bit to this whole Messiah thing. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't joking. Maybe this really is him. That's kind of what happens in the life of James. There's a lot of Jameses in the Bible, but don't be confused. The one who is a leader in the early church, the one who wrote the book of James, is the half-brother of Jesus. Don't be confused by James, the brother of John. He is beheaded, executed in some way in Acts chapter 12. So James, who is the brother of John, is not able to write the book of James. He's not the one in Acts who's helping to lead the church when we get to Acts chapter 15 because he's already dead. He's been executed in Acts chapter 12. He's also not James the son of Alphaeus, which is sometimes referred to as little James or James the less. They would have said it all fancy like James the less. But really, there was James, who was the brother of John, who was a big tall guy. So they sometimes maybe call him Big James. And then there was a James who was a shorter guy. And so they called him James the less. It wasn't that he was lesser or less significant or less important than James, the brother of John. It just he was a little bit shorter. So he was little James. He had big James. He had little James. And you also had James, the brother of Jesus. It's about as popular as the name Mary. Have you ever tried to count up how many Marys are in the New Testament? You've got to use more than just your hands. You've got to get toes involved. There's a lot of Marys that are involved in the New Testament. So it's tough sometimes to keep them straight. I want us to know with certainty. With all clarity, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He was executed. He was killed for his faith, church tradition tells us, in A.D. 62. So he writes his letter probably sometime in the mid-40s. There's this big controversy that takes place at the end of the 40s about what to do with the Gentiles. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but James wrote his letter before that time. Everything in the book of James is flavored by the gospel. James and John and Jesus and James and John and Paul are oftentimes set at odds with one another, saying that John describes one kind of Jesus. James describes another kind of Jesus, and Paul a third kind of Jesus. What I want us to see this morning is that everything in the book of James is fueled by the gospel and is in complete agreement with how Jesus is portrayed to us in John and in all of Paul's letters. And so, that brings us to Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles and have not turned there by now, please get to Romans chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8 for us. If you're physically able, I would encourage you to please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we come now to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have never read through Romans chapter 8, I want to encourage you. If you take nothing else away from this morning, hear me say it would, it would benefit everyone here this morning if we memorize every verse of Romans chapter 8. It is one of the most concise collections of references to the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It walks us through our sinful state and our salvation and how God is at work in all things For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It walks us through how we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It is one of the most encouraging, uplifting chapters in all the Bible. It's all condensed right there in roughly 39 verses. It is a chapter worth memorizing. And You've heard me say numerous times from this pulpit, Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is one of the most reassuring verses in all the Bible. We should be condemned. We stand under condemnation. We were caught with our hands in the cookie jar and we ought to be condemned. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, God has declared there is therefore now no condemnation. The condemnation will not come to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's one of those things that it's, it's like we don't understand it unless we're in dire straits. Have you ever heard the song, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? All the little scenarios in that song about Jesus Take the Wheel are situations in which things are out of control. I don't know what to do. And I, I'm just, I'm up against the wall. And if, Lord, you don't take the wheel and save me or do something, then I'm going to die. Lord, please rescue me, save me, redeem me. That's when the fact that there is no condemnation and we need Jesus very forefront in our mind, right there at the present. When it's a life or death situation, we try to remember, Lord, you said there's no condemnation now, right? But for most of us, I'd say a lot of us probably grew up in church. 
And maybe we didn't do, do a ton of very bad things. Maybe we did some things wrong here or there. Maybe we thought some bad thoughts, but surely I wouldn't be under condemnation. I mean, I've never used drugs. I've never been an alcoholic. I mean, I'm not a habitual liar. I strive to tell the truth. I mean, okay, so I, I struggle with my weight, and sometimes I struggle with my pride. And okay, sometimes as a teenager, I thought some impure thoughts. But I mean, come on, that's everybody. Surely I'm not under condemnation. This, for whatever reason, is our approach. We rationalize, we justify that what we've done in our life is just not that bad. But what the Bible teaches us consistently from Genesis to Revelation is that we are wretched and horrible and deserve condemnation and death. We have sinned and rebelled and committed treason against a holy and perfect God. And it doesn't seem to make sense to us because it's not as plain to us as this guy killed somebody. He deserves to be dead. For us, that deserves condemnation. And I haven't killed anybody, so what condemnation do I deserve? Well, let me tell you something. If you lived in Saudi Arabia, if you lived in any nation that was still ruled under a monarchy, and you managed to walk your way up to the king of that nation, and you said, licked your hand and smacked him across the face, what's about to happen? We ain't ever going to see you again. There's no prisoner trade that can be made. You're done. It's worse than Miss Griner over in Russia. We are never seeing from you. You will just disappear. There won't be a court. There won't be anything. You're gone. Because it's not that it was just a slap. It's that it was a slap in the face of the king. And it doesn't matter who the king was. It's an assault against the position of the ruler in highest authority. That's God. And when we say we know better, when we say we can live our lives the way that we want, then we are slapping God, the creator of the universe, the one who had the power to just speak and we came into existence. We slap him in the face. We spit on him and tell him we know better how to run our lives. We deserve condemnation. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You may have heard in the last couple of weeks about a guy who's uh, kind of a crazy guy. His name's Alex Jones. If you've been listening to Alex Jones, I will pray for you, okay? He, he thinks a lot of crazy things. Everything in the world is a conspiracy to Alex Jones. He, he was responsible for info war, wars, and he said some wild and outlandish things. One of the things that he said most recently was uh, that the Sandy Hook school shooting did not happen that it was all a government hoax, and that there were not kids who died. And so, maybe some of his conspiracies were right, but the man just kept going to more and more extremes. And what was entertaining is that this past week or so, he was in a courtroom setting, and the lawyer against him had somehow come into possession of every single text message the man had sent over the last years and I thought as I watched him in that video clip on YouTube of him squirming and the blood draining from his face I thought about there is therefore now no condemnation the result of that lawyer finding those text messages is I guess that he has all the evidence he needs to prove 
that Alex Jones never really thought that Sandy Hook's Sandy Hook was a hoax. He made that up just to try and get people to listen to him. He was lying for the sake of growing his own personal wealth, and it harmed the families of those who had children that died, and they were suing him. And so I think the last time I read the total, he owes $42.5 million. I will never earn $42.5 million if you total up every dollar I earn. From when I was a teenager and I started working until now, until I die, I don't think my personal net worth will ever accumulate to $42.5 million. But this guy's got to pay it. And the toll came due. And he was guilty as charged. And to watch this man sit on that stand and go, well, uh, 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 but you don't, my phone, in the, but the text message, you don't have, uh, that we gave you, I mean, in the thing, the, um, and he just knows. He knows he's caught. He knows he's wrong. He can't think of anything to say. That's what it will be like one day for anybody who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus. We'll be caught red-handed. We'll stand before the Lord God Almighty. Who will know every thought we've ever had. Who could probably play them back for us on a big screen if he wanted to. All he's got to do is speak it. Everything we need to prove how condemned and how doomed we are is right there in front of us. And I just think back to different times in my life I've been caught red-handed. I wonder, you don't have to answer out loud. I'd prefer that you didn't, honestly. But have you ever been caught red-handed? Have you ever been caught in the midst of doing something wrong and you knew you deserved condemnation. One of my favorite stories is my brother. He got on our back porch. Our back porch was real high up. I think I've told this story before, but I, I just love telling it. My brother was really mad at this cat, scratched him while he was trying to pet the cat. So this was not good. This was not right. He shouldn't have done this. But he took the cat and he grabbed it by the tail, flung it around his head, and threw it off the back porch. Dead serious. God's honest truth. That happened. My brother got scratched by the cat, mad at the cat, grabs it by the tail. Boom. Little did he know. My mom was standing in the kitchen looking through the window watching him do this on the back porch. She walks outside, Michael Daniels, did you just throw that cat off the porch? My brother said, what color was that cat? Didn't work. The condemnation came down strong and hard. Same thing's true. The only way to be able to stand before Jesus and be forgiven for our sins is to be in Christ. It's for His perfection and His righteousness to cover how ugly and unrighteous we are. There is condemnation that we deserve. It's as though Jesus were to step in for Alex Jones and say, I'll pay his $42.5 million. I'll pay millions that you don't have. Even though you're guilty, even though you were caught red-handed. And Isn't that scandalous? He gets off scot-free. He's forgiven and absolved of his crime. It seems unfair and unjust. But see, somebody else was willing to pay the price and take the punishment. We deserved death. And there was a willing volunteer who came down and died in our place. So there is therefore now, now, now that Jesus has died and risen from the dead. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. 
That's the heart of the gospel. The Lord is not sitting around on His throne in heaven looking down upon those who are in Christ Jesus and thinking, "Mm, these guys are going to get it. I can't wait to zap them. He's going to look down as He does every day on those who are in Christ Jesus. And instead of seeing how filthy and rebellious and ugly I am, how impure my heart and my mind are, He sees the perfection of Jesus applied to us. James believes this same thing. There is no condemnation. There is grace for those who have faith in Jesus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 11. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. James is approached. There is a serious controversy in the church. We have problems in the church because there are people who did not grow up as Jews trusting in Jesus. And people who did grow up being Jews had to participate in a particular medical procedure, trying to watch out for our little ears, that was quite intimate and personal and private for men. And so what happens is there's a group saying, if you want to be a Christian and follow Jesus... You have to go through that medical procedure if you want to follow Jesus. And then there's a whole other group of people that say, no, that's, that's not the case. You do not have to have some sort of medical surgery or procedure just to prove how you want to follow Jesus. So they take it all the way back to all the leaders, all the apostles that are in Jerusalem. And they come to this place where everyone is looking to James, the brother of Jesus. What shall we do? Beginning in verse 11. James is speaking and he says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. I'm out. This is James professing that we are saved by grace through faith. And all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied and says, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its Ruins, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment, says James, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. James is quoting Old Testament scripture to prove you don't have to have a surgical procedure to follow Jesus, you're saved by grace. Through faith in Jesus. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, he gives four practical ways that they can cause less division and more harmony among all the church. And he says, but we should write to them, to those who have trusted in Jesus who are Gentiles, to abstain from the things polluted by idols. Don't eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. And from sexual immorality. That's all forms of sexual immorality. Whether it's sexual immorality by yourself, in the privacy of your home, 
with a magazine or a computer, whether it's sexual immorality with a person of the opposite gender outside of the confines of marriage, or whether it is a person of the same gender. And there are multiple forms of sexual immorality. This is referring to all of them. James says, refrain from sexual immorality, from things polluted by idols, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James agrees wholeheartedly. There are things that we should do to help our brothers and sisters not stumble. There are things that we should do that are just good for us as followers of Christ. Ways to live wisely as a follower of Christ. But he is not refuting that the gospel is we are saved by grace through faith. He is, in fact, affirming it. Go back to Paul in Romans chapter 8. What James is going to tell us is what Paul tells us as we continue through these verses. For those in verse 5 who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. All that we're going to learn as we dive into the book of James is how to live a life with our minds set on the Holy Spirit of God. James is not saying that there will be a checklist. If you really are a Christian, then you better live this way. What James is telling us is, how to live a life with our minds set on the Spirit. Which is the same exact thing that Paul is describing in Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation, but there is a life that we live after being justified by faith. And our life should not be set on the flesh or the things of the flesh, but on the Spirit. It should change the way we live when our debt has been forgiven. It should change the things that we do, the way that we talk. It should change our lives when we trust in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But those who are in Christ live with their minds set on the Spirit. James does not disagree with Paul. Paul does not disagree with James. Both of them are telling us we are saved by God's grace through faith. And when we truly have faith, it changes what our mind is set on. And so for five chapters, James will tell us how to live with our minds set on the Spirit. That's where we're going to go. We're not going to go there today, but I needed for us to understand this foundation. If we try to build the house and we laid no foundation, and every week we come in and out of this place and we're focused only on the practical things that James tells us, then we have a danger of leaving feeling like, tell you what, that preacher really got on me today. I've been doing a terrible job. In James it talks about taming the tongue, and I tell you, I just 
I cut my wife down all the time and I have terrible things that I say against her in front of other people. I don't ever build her up. I am doing a terrible job of taming my tongue. I'm a lousy Christian and and the Lord may not even forgive me. That's nowhere in the book of James. We should tame our tongues. That's in the book of James. But we're still saved by grace. And there is mercy and forgiveness when we mess up. The book of James can be so practical. Even Martin Luther really did not want to include it in the canon. It was already a part of God's Word, and God had already preserved it, but Martin Luther absolutely avoided the book of James as though it was the plague because he said it makes it feel like our salvation is by works. But that's not the case. James is speaking to a Jewish audience that doesn't know What does it mean to follow Jesus? Should I still live like a Jew? How do I live my life now that I follow Jesus and I was a Jew? What do I do now? And so James gives us instruction on setting our mind on the Spirit and living wisely as Christians. So this morning, I just wonder, have you fallen back into the trap of setting a to-do list for your salvation? Have you fallen back into the trap of, if I just go to church a little bit more, if I just work a little bit harder, if I just act a little bit nicer, then maybe God will love me or be pleased with me. God has declared you righteous and just. There is peace between you and God if you believe in the Lord Jesus. He's not mad at you waiting to crack down on you with a thunderbolt. The last passage I want to read this morning is from Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Another therefore. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Folks, We've got to stop walking around every day beating ourselves to the floor, making ourselves feel like dirt, like God is so angry and disappointed and upset with us all the time and that we're just the biggest disappointment to the Lord and that He has no peace with us. He's not reconciled with us. That's not up to you and me and the way we live. That's up to the Lord Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, and whether or not you and I believe in that. Because if we believe in that, what does verse 5 say? His love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's easier to live with your mind set on the Spirit when you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have peace with God. He's, He's not angry at you. You know, my my cousin Josh used to get in trouble a whole lot. I got in trouble too, but this was a very unique scenario. My cousin Josh would get in trouble, and he'd try to run away. 
I was never that fast, so I knew running away would not do me any good. I also knew that running away would make the spanking much worse. Cousin Josh, though, he's pretty quick. He's a quick guy. Point guard on the basketball team. He'd get around. He was wiry, you know? Like maybe he wasn't exactly quick, but it's like running from a bear. You know, you zigzag enough, maybe you're going to get away. Well, my Uncle Jim just had this magnificent ability to rip his belt off as he started running. And it reminded me of like a lawnmower pull cord. You know what I mean? Have you ever tried to pull a lawnmower and you... And then you're off going. My Uncle Jim, when Josh was in trouble, he'd take off running. And my Uncle Jim... And that was it. He was off and running when that belt pulled through the ripcord and got him going. And he would track down my cousin Josh and he would... It was all like within, you know, normal parenting. Okay, don't call DHR. They're adults now. He grew up. He's just fine. Sometimes I think we feel like the Lord's chasing us down with a belt to whip us. And we're running as fast as we can, like my cousin Josh. Like, where can I get away? God's not chasing you down to beat you with a belt. Jesus took a beating with a cat of nine tails. It was a leather belt way worse than anything my Uncle Jim ever decided to use. Ripped the flesh off the back of our Savior with every stripe. He took the belt for us. God's not trying to track you down and beat you. God loves you. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we can rest knowing that God loves us, sacrificed His Son for us, there is hope for us, and that hope does not put us to shame. We can walk in freedom, filled with the Holy Spirit, Not because we're good, but because we're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is in us. But if that's not true for you today, I just want to remind you. You will stand before the Lord one day. And I wonder, will you be able to point to Jesus and say, I may not be any good, but He died for me. Will that day be a day like what Alex Jones had in court the other day? And then the blood drains from your face. And you him and haw, and I, I just, I don't know. And the Lord says, be gone. I never knew you. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift if we would just believe. That's the message of Romans 8. That's the message of James. That's the message of the whole Bible. That's the good news. That there's hope in Jesus. And in Jesus alone. Will you trust in Him today? If you've been trying to do it on your own, will you remember? God loves you. He's not chasing you with a belt. Rest in the assurance of how He loves you. And see how it helps you to walk in the Spirit. And please Him all the more. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you that in you and in you alone we have hope and salvation. Thank you, Lord, that even though we cannot please you if our minds are set on the flesh, even though we have to have your Holy Spirit filling our hearts to live for you, you pour your Holy Spirit out freely. You fill us with your love and your Spirit that we might walk in a new way of living. 
Thank you, Lord, that your word agrees completely. That there are no conflicting messages. That it is one unified message of salvation by grace through faith. A faith that is life-changing. Lord, thank you that for anyone who is in Jesus, you're not keeping a ledger of all the good and bad things that we've done. Thank you that when we get to heaven, it's not a scale and a balance where we better have done more good than bad. But it's all covered under the blood of Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you, committed their life to you, would you move on their heart today? Lord, if there's anyone here who's been trying to do it all on their own, void of your Spirit, would you fill them with your Spirit today? Reassure them of your love for them. Remind them that that there is no condemnation for those who are in you. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.